There's something really curious about this broadcast. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, and we have main engine start. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and liftoff. This is TGP nominal. Commence episode now. All systems remain nominal. 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 Hello everybody and welcome to this special edition of TGP Nominal, your monthly look at all things science fact and science fiction. So why is this a special edition? Well, not only is it our first episode of our Season 7, it's our annual World Space Week podcast, which has been registered as an official World Space Week virtual event. So if you're joining us from the World Space Week website, welcome on board and I hope you enjoy your time with us. Before we get this show started... I think we should tell everyone a little bit about what World Space Week is. World Space Week is a global celebration of science and technology and how they have contributed to making our lives better. The United Nations General Assembly declared in 1999 that World Space Week will be held each year from October the 4th to October the 10th. These dates were chosen because on October the 4th, 1957, the first human-made Earth satellite, Sputnik 1, was launched opening the way for space exploration. And on October the 10th, 1967, the Treaty on Principles Governing the Activities of States in the Exploration and Peaceful Uses of Outer Space, including the Moon and other celestial bodies, was signed, and for obvious reasons, it's now known as the Outer Space Treaty. Now this treaty forms the basis of international space law and as of June 2019, 109 countries are parties to this treaty while another 24 have signed the treaty but have not completed the ratification. Among the Outer Space Treaty main points are it prohibits the placing of weapons of mass destruction in space, it limits the use of the moon and other celestial bodies to peaceful purposes only, It establishes that space shall be free for exploration and used by all nations and that no one nation may claim sovereignty over outer space or any celestial body. World Space Week is coordinated by the United Nations with the support of the World Space Week Association or the WSWA. The WSWA leads a global team of national coordinators who promote World Space Week in their own countries. World Space Week consists of space education and outreach events held by space agencies, aerospace companies, schools, planetariums, museums and astronomy clubs around the world in a common time frame. The goals of World Space Week include providing unique leverage in space outreach and education, educate people around the world about the benefits that they receive from space, encourage greater use of space for sustainable economic development, demonstrate public support for space programs and excite young people about STEM subjects. There have been over 2 million people attending World Space Week events in recent years and you are taking part in one right now just by listening to this podcast. So now you know a little bit about the World Space Week. So we'll take a short break and when we return we'll get this episode launched into the podosphere. Hi, I'm Matt Damon. I play astronaut Mark Watney in The Martian. In the story, my character is accidentally stranded on Mars. Sending people to Mars and returning them safely is the challenge of a generation. The whole world held its breath when the Curiosity rover landed in 2012. The boot prints of astronauts will follow those rover tracks thanks to innovations happening today. 
NASA's journey to Mars begins on the International Space Station, some 250 miles overhead, where we're learning how humans can thrive over long periods without gravity. Here at home, people are working across the country on the new Orion spacecraft and Space Launch System rocket that will carry astronauts farther than ever before. When we invent new technologies for exploration, it benefits all of humanity. But more than that, the journey to Mars will forever change our history books, rewriting what we know about the Red Planet and expanding a human presence deeper into the solar system. Follow NASA's journey to Mars at www.nasa.gov. I've thought about it a lot. Why does Britain create so many great filmmakers and actors? What is it about Britain that seems to generate these people? It's pretty phenomenal, the influence we've had on, on like global culture. We really punch above our weight. When we were making Rogue One, I sort of half-jokingly but half-meaning it said to the producers, well, wait, let's just shoot in Canary Wharf. There's all the guys in the suits, you know, coming home from work, and we're not allowed to tell anyone, it's really secretive, and we're thinking, okay, we're gonna film Star Wars, and then we had hidden Stormtrooper outfits and stuff, and we go in, and within an hour, turned it into the Empire. I went up to one of the art directors and was like, how did you, this was so good, like, how did you do this so quick? And he said, oh, we came in last night and we did a practice run. Like the extra mile that the crew would always go to, it's kind of like a military operation. The great thing about British crews is they've been doing this, you know, for generations and, and they've all inherited off the previous one all these little tricks of the trade. We had an assistant director on the film whose dad worked on the original New Hope and his job on that was to direct the X-Wing pilots for the, for the battle sequence. And his son on our film had exactly the same job. It was really weird. That felt really appropriate. The great thing is on set is no one says no. And you'd say to them, like, you can say no, you know, you, is, is this a problem? And they'd say, no, we don't, we don't do that. Like, they, they sort of pride themselves on giving you everything you want. There's something magical about Great Britain. There's so many great examples of British filmmakers, people like Hitchcock and David Lean. And it's funny, because even people, like, from outside of the UK, like Kubrick, he ended up making Britain his home because, you know, the crews were so good. I'm Gareth Edwards, director of Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, and I'm very proud to say it was made great in Britain. This is TGP Nominal. Welcome back to TGP Nominal for our World Space Week podcast. Recently, one of our honorary crew members, Janelle Harrier-Wilson, who is also the UK's only NASA Solar System Ambassador, made an appearance on local radio to discuss NASA's plans to return to the moon. NASA. 
has formally outlined its £22 billion plan to return to the moon by 2024. As part of a programme called Artemis, NASA will send a man and a woman to the lunar surface in the first landing with humans since 1972. Astronauts will travel in an Apollo-like capsule called Orion that will launch on a powerful rocket called SLS. Well, joining me now is Janelle Wilson, who is NASA Solar System Ambassador, and she's from Buckinghamshire. Janelle, very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. Welcome to the show. Very exciting news, this. It is, it is. It absolutely is to have a, a bit more of a plan for what we're going to do to get back to the moon. Okay. Uh, I, I have to ask you the obvious question. Uh, they're sending a man and a woman to the lunar surface. Will it be a husband and wife team? Uh, there aren't that many husband and wife astronaut teams, so probably not. Well, but they, you never they know. Be- <laughs> they better get on really well, because otherwise it's a long way up and a long way down. It is. It is. It is probably about a one-week mission. Do you know this? I, 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 I heard a mission. Obviously, I heard the the news. I didn't realise it was a man and a woman. This is going to be fantastic. Um, yeah. in, in space travel terms, how exciting is all this? Oh, it's very exciting. Uh, especially when you think about the fact that we've had men walking on the moon, but never had a woman doing it. And that's part of the reason why it's called the Artemis program, anyways, because she was the sister to Apollo. And so it's the mission to land the first woman on the moon, in addition to also just getting back there. So it's been a long time. Yeah, it has been a long time. And, and, and significant, of course, this uh, pairing they're, they're putting up. How much training will be required for the astronauts going on a mission like this? It's a huge amount of training. They have to know how to use, work in the capsule. They have to know what to expect in the lander, how to land on the moon. They would then have to be able to lift off from the moon. They have to redock with, generally, they would redock with the capsule that's in orbit around the moon if it's similar to the Apollo program. So there's lots of different steps. If you think about what we went through during the Apollo program, there's quite a bit of undertaking to, to plan and prepare and be ready for all the different steps. I imagine we'll see more than just a man and a woman as part of the mission. There'll probably be one or two other crew members as well. Okay. How different will it be to the Apollo missions? Because they were a long time ago, and I think we've underestimated the scientific yeah. uh, endeavours that it took to put to to, you know, yeah. to get man on the moon. Well, of course. Yeah. So you know, if you think about the phone in your pocket, the phone I'm using right now, the phone we all have with us all the time, has more computing power than the computers that took the spacecraft to the moon in the 1960s, 1970s. So, if they could do that on just a tiny bit of computing power, then obviously with our new technologies, we should be able to do quite a bit more. It's going to be much more flash and high tech. Um, and hopefully we'll be able to get lots of new science as well as part of it. Oh, just as you said the phone, I was thinking that because, uh, yeah, right, of course, this is the, the old anecdote that the, the, our modern day phones has more, more computing power than the, than the computers they had on the Apollo missions. How on that base, how on earth... Did they get up there and back again? With because it, it was a different te- technological era. But to think about it now, it's what they att- what they attempted and achieved was bonkers. It's incredible. It, it really is incredible what they were able to accomplish. I mean, they were getting quite a bit of money. They got about ten percent of the U.S. budget at the time, which helped a lot. Um, but it was insane the amount of things they were able to do with what we would look back now and say was pretty primitive technology. 
and radical, radically, obviously radically different technology. One of the key elements, of course, is whatever scientific um, endeavours they embark upon, um, the photographic evidence alone, it will be spectacular because we are taking, I mean, even from the space station, some of the pictures, the astronauts oh, yeah. take are stunning. They really are, definitely. I mean, it, we'll have a chance to recreate to that moonrise picture from uh, Apollo 8 when we first really had that great look back at our planet and realizing how small we are and why it's so important for us all to get along. Uh, Janelle, given the technological advances society has made, um, obviously planned to send a man and a woman to the moon by 2024, what are the prospects mm-hmm. of actually leaving men and women on the moon? is a long-term goal to set some type of outpost up on the moon. Um, there's two schools of thought. One is let's get to the moon first, let's establish a base. Um, and then there's another school of thought that says let's, let's kind of skip the moon and go straight to Mars. Obviously NASA's going to the moon first. I think that's a wise decision because it's a great p- practice area. It's not that far away compared to Mars. Yeah, there is this big rush to, to, to do something with Mars, but do we need to get back and, in, in effect, reconquer the moon before we can embark on the Mars missions? In, in my opinion, yes. Obviously, there's different schools of thought on that, but I think it makes sense because there's a lot of things we need to work out first for a long-duration mission. And if something goes wrong, the moon is three, four days away. Mars is eight months to a year away so you know you want something you want to try everything out experiment first in a safe safer environment and janelle is is there anything left to learn from the moon itself oh absolutely there are elements and minerals on the moon that aren't available in the same types of quantities on earth so there's like opportunities for mining prospects there's uh water on the moon which we've only found out about recently so being able to you know is there a way we can use that we are still learning about the interior structure of the moon so there's a lot of science still left on the moon we've only i mean if you look at the amount of times we visited we visited six times um not for very long each time so we have just scratched the surface of the moon and it just will give us a chance to learn a lot more with people as opposed to just robotic missions i get the sense from your voice janelle that you you think this is quite an exciting mission oh absolutely Uh, i've been dreaming of the day that we would get back to the moon so it's very exciting is it too late for you to try and and bid for a place on on artemis (laughs) yes unfortunately it is they say it's going to be someone who's already in the astronaut corps um, and probably someone who's already been on the space station who will be chosen for the mission. It sounds like they will probably announce it in 2022, the crew. So be on the lookout for that in a couple more years. Hey, listen, we all need something to look forward to, and this could be a fantastic uh, mission once again. Uh, Janelle, pleasure to talk to you. Wish you well. Janelle Wilson, who is the NASA Solar Space System Ambassador. Sorry, start again. NASA Solar System Ambassador from Buckinghamshire. We don't get too many of those in Buckinghamshire. Fantastic. Uh, NASA formally now outlining its £22 billion plan to return to the moon by 2024. And the plan is to send a woman and a man to the lunar surface in the first landing using humans since 1972. We take it all for granted what they achieved uh, 50-odd years ago uh, with very limited technology. This is something else. Janelle is awesome. And she seems to have become the go-to space expert for local media, as she's been interviewed numerous times over the last few months. We're going to take another short break, and when we come back, we're going on a field trip. 
Today, we live in one of the most exciting times in history for space travel and discovery. Missions like NASA's New Horizons and SpaceX's Dragon are expanding our knowledge of how far humans can reach into the universe, from sending satellites into deep space to potentially living on Mars. Inspired by recent discoveries of ancient solar systems and innovations in spaceflight vehicles, the World Space Week Association is planning for the largest space week since its United Nations Declaration in 1999. Organizers and scientists alike hope this focus on discovery will foster discussions about the benefits of advancing space technology and where humans should explore next. I just see it uh, as a beginning. Uh, not just this flight, but in this program, which has really been a very short piece of human history. An instant in history. But this instant is gearing up to be one of the most influential and innovative in all of history for science beyond our planet. And this Space Week, we get a front row seat to take part in these activities. Space exploration and research back here on Earth is not just an endeavor for a few. It brings together the best and brightest of all nations and millions of fascinated Earthlings to wonder, work together, and innovate. So we're in Aylesbury at the moment. It's an autumnal day, so if you can hear leaves and stuff blowing about and, uh, and the wind, that's what it is. Because we're outside at the moment, and the reason why we're outside is because I'm joined by Ross Hockham from UK Astronomy. Hello, it's nice to actually be with you, rather than just, a, you know, a voice. Oh, we've been working it out. I haven't seen you since September last year. Last year? Was that when we went to, to the... Space uh, Rocks. Oh, yeah, because I advertised it, didn't I? Yeah. The other day, saying that it was one of the best days I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> so I met Tim Peake and actually got a picture of him, back when you were allowed to be close to people. Yeah, yeah, and now it's virtually a year to the day, near enough, uh, from when we met up for that. We are in a in the car park actually strangely and the reason why we're here is if i make some sound effects for you now can you tell what it is yet it's written on the back of this thing it says spacecrafter now if you're a regular listener to our podcast you will know that well how, how long have you been trying to raise money for this probably about two or three years it's got to be two so or three years <laughs> the spacecrafter is uk astronomy's mobile observatory in many respects it's got everything it needed in here to do what you do out and about yep anywhere i could just rock up to a field now open this van up and it's got every single thing we need in it to teach people about the stars and skies and planets and all that sort of stuff pause for the car <laughs> so tell us a little bit about this van because it's all down to your spec isn't it Pretty much, yeah. I must have, we took it to some guys called Tread and Butter. You can actually see their label on the back there. They're <laughs> advertising. They are a lovely bunch of guys down in Surrey, and they converted it for us. And so what I had to do was literally take a picture of everything I had in my garage, which is where all the telescopes were, all the equipment, all the gear, measure it all, <laughs> which was a, <laughs> a fun day, measuring the size, the diameter, the height, giving it all to those guys, and then sitting in their sort of... Well, it's like a well, kind of like a commercial industrial sort of almost like a farm <laughs> sit there with them in the back of the van and just go right how are we going to make this all fit so we gave them specs of sort of like we wanted to obviously we wanted to have power 
So we've got solar panels on the top, so it can power two leisure batteries inside so that I can do actual talks from the back of the van. So I can put a projector screen up in there. I can then get the projector and put it onto the van. I don't know how long at the moment the projector will last. I'm hoping at least an hour. They've told me they've run tellies and things off of it. So it should be fine, <laughs> fingers crossed. So what it really means is I can turn up, open it up and do talks. So I don't need venues, I don't need to pay for halls. So the charity can get more to do more and actually go out and see more. So as much as a hall's great, because obviously if it's raining, I can't do it. So it's always nice to have a backup, but it just means I can rock up and open it all up and it's there. It is an event in itself. It yeah. is a hall. It's awesome. So you've got the main part of the van itself. So if we open this up and we'll describe what's, what's going on here. So at the rear, you've got a lovely picture at first. And as you said, it's got the spacecraft written on it. And there's a great picture of like a dad and his boy with a telescope silhouetted to the twilight sky. And that was done by our friend Derek Pelling, photography. He's actually done this picture at one of my events. So now it's there with UK Astronomy bringing the skies to you. So people who are driving behind us will see it. They're like, wow, that looks cool, hopefully. So if we open her up, guys at Shred and Butter suggested doing was putting in almost like a bulkhead. So they've put a bulkhead in which was all shelving, all nicely black velveted so it's all kind of nice and cool and looks funky. They put a red light in as well so that it doesn't affect your eyesight and then we've just filled it <laughs> as you can see. Pretty much. Completely filled it. They put a void at the top as well so there's a cage in the next bit which we'll talk about which means we can slide all things like A boards, we've got the uh, big square cut out astronaut put your head through boards which are obviously quite big they're about six foot i think by yeah. about four foot so they can all slide in the top out of the way and we've got all the mini telescopes all in here there's all solar gear we've got stuff for covid which is always good at the moment yeah yep. wipes masks all those sorts of things because we're not gonna let that stop us hopefully we've got a badge making machine for the kids so we can actually make badges at events that we do the inflatable solar system all the tripods chairs most important thing when you're sat in fates for four, five, six, seven hours, yep. you need a good camping chair with a drink holder as well. Pretty much everything, a range of binoculars, just everything you need really, all in the back, all just ready to go and just grab and go. You've got a kettle sorted out. There is a kettle. It is a 12 volt one. <laughs> oh, I haven't tested it yet. Because okay. <laughs> that... someone said it can blow the... Uh... Ah, but about... I think the leisure batteries, it'll be fine. Right. Because they're, they're proper hardcore from what I've heard. Fingers crossed, but I will test it. Awesome. So that's the back part of it. So if we go into the, the main body now, let's move around there. Right, so if you go to the side now, both sides have the big UK astronomy logo because there are a billion worlds in that guard, and we also have all our sponsors across the bottom because you know they gave to us, so we've got to give a bit back, it's only fair. So if we open up the door, and I just love the side of a van with that sort of Mars, quarter of a Mars, it's almost like you're flying around here, isn't it? it just <laughs> looks cool. So the first thing we've got is security, so we've got some caged doors here, there's loads of locks and stuff on it, but I'm not going to go into that, because that's boring. And now, as you can see Mark, I do love a bungee. Yeah, there's a few of them on They're board, good. I've noticed that. <laughs> they keep all the doors open for me. And then also we put them around the top of the scopes so that they don't fall over as I'm uh, moving about because that's the last thing you want, especially with mirrors on scopes. So yeah, if we open it up, you can see we've put 
couple of astronauts at the back yep. just for show we're hoping to get more stuff in the actual back you know so like pictures maybe the moon because we've got the big moon that one of our friends dominic printed for us you know the huge one at moon Day? oh yeah the, the uh yeah where, where you would put your rocket sites yeah. yeah i'm hoping to sort of cut one of them up and just stick it along the back and stuff but for now we've got buzz over there i've had to i've had to cut his legs off i'm afraid okay <laughs> but he fits and he looks good we've got neil as well and then as you can see there's a range of dobbies range of dobbies we've got small big 10 inch 8 inch and then the the one that i've been waiting to get the van for is the <laughs> massive 16 inch beast that is a beast isn't it now we do have ramps so there are two metal ramps that fold out onto here so we can roll it down because it's on wheels the ramps are proper they're made for wheelchair users all right so they've got the weight behind them they've got the stability i just want i just need to stick some rubber on it really because it's still metal so it kind of clanks a bit and goes down but once we've got a bit of rubber on there I've, we've pulled it down and pushed it back up again fine just need some new wheels because they're a bit small so i need to get some more industrial wheels on oh, they're yeah. good and then we've got power so we yes. actually have power in the van as i said there's solar power on the top and the panels come down to the back here and the most important thing we've got for my wife is a mini hoover <laughs> and a dustpan and brush because <laughs> every time i go in here i bring in dirt and grass and grime and she's like you're ruining my van <laughs> it's her van now <laughs> so we have them there just in case and they will be constantly charging there's a couple of power packs as well because we've got a nexstar 6 over here in a big case so that's a robotic scope which looks really good and like you know the images for it are amazing over the back we've also got tables i've got two metal boxes both from b and q funnily enough and you know you can get the foam square bits you pull out oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. fantastic for eyepieces oh, yeah. so i've got this big box now with every single eyepiece in it made to measure I spent hours <laughs> picking out the individual bits of foam and stuffing them all in so that they're all good. So now I can just open up this one case, all the eyepieces are there and then the other one has all the random equipment like, like the phone holders and the filters and all those sort of things, a columnator, so that if the mirrors do wobble a bit in the van I can quickly get them out and just make sure make they're, yep, yeah, collimator, make sure they're all good. And like the back of this, there's, there's uh, red lights all the way through the back of yep, this. Yes, there's three red lights along the top there. And as you can see, we've got a cage either side in between each of the scopes to keep them steady, make sure. Also, unfortunately, people like to break into vans nowadays, so we've got all the security in there, deadlocks, tracker, all this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Don't want to go too much into it because if they're listening, <laughs> I'm sure they're not. And as you can see, that's the cage at the top there. Yeah, which is where the, the boards, boards were. Yeah. So tons and tons of room, and the worst thing is, I reckon I could get a couple more dobbies in here. <laughs> <laughs> and then my wife came up with a great idea of, as the cage doors open, we've got high-vis UK astronomy jerkins and stuff up there. So she thought, why not hang them? Hang them there, we've got a UK astronomy tub for donations, just yep. in case anyone wants to donate while we're up there in stargazing. We've got red lights hanging there, we've got gloves for people. So everything we need, really. So, after being rudely interrupted by uh, a minibus reversing helicopters. Um, and helicopters and <laughs> loads of other stuff, back to the back of the van, you've got strapped to the top of it an awning. Yep. Well, obviously, we go to events during the summer, although not dark, and you can't really do stargazing until really late. We have got the equipment to look at the sun safely, so we can see sunspots and flares and things, and also which we didn't realise, it's a converted vehicle. So we've been invited, as I think I said in the last one, we've been, we've been invited to 
converted vehicle conventions. Yeah. It's quite hard to say. Yeah. So yeah, we've got an awning there, which is the most important thing because you can get it out and then sit underneath it. Keeps the sun off people, keeps the dogs happy because we have got two dogs that come along with us. They've been in the front, you'll see the hairs. And yeah, so the awning's there, it just kind of opens up like that and it's fantastic, it's really well done. The other day when we were actually doing a uh, robotic scope, it was being powered by the van, mm -hmm. by the sun. So the sun they're looking at is powering the very scope they're using. That's awesome. And for it? kids and you know, green energy and all that sort of thing, it's important, isn't it? Education, it teaching is. them about it. So it's all kitted out exactly, well, not quite exactly as you want it yet, because you've been told to keep hold of it over the winter yep. and do what you can with it. Yep. And then go back to Shreddenbutter with a list of things that just need to tweak. Yeah, it's kind slowly. of like it's like the first one, isn't it? It's a pilot one. Yeah. So they've done all the major bits to it, everything that needs doing. Then they don't know how my events work. So now I load it with all my gear. I think, oh, I could do with this, or I could do with that. Maybe this here would be good. And then take it back to them after sort of trialing it over the winter and say, I mean, some of it I can do myself, so that'd be cool. I can tinker with it and there's bits I want to add to it. Like, as I said, on the back of the doors when they open, mm -hmm. it'd be good to have some leaflet holders and things like that so people can take information, take, you know, guides and things that are on there printed out for them and bits like that. Yeah, so take it back to Shred and Butter. They'll probably be over the moon. They'll be like, oh, good, you're back again. <laughs> and then, yeah, hopefully, maybe do some extra bits to it, add bits, maybe take a couple of bits off, depending. But at the moment, to be fair, everything seems to work perfectly just about storage just yeah. where I want things and do I want galleries in there do I want the moon in there not literally I was going to say that's <laughs> a big, big it's a big van but it's not that big so yeah so it's going to be a work in progress I think it's going to take a few years but it works now we've gone and done a couple of events before another lockdown is starting by the looks of it mm -hmm. hopefully not now you mentioned you went to a I like to call them rallies for custom yep. vehicle rallies. Rallies, cool, yeah. Rallies, good work. And that was over in Northamptonshire, wasn't it? Yeah, is it Finden? Finden. That was the Festival of Fuel? Festival of Fuel, yeah. 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 How did you find that? Loved it. My missus loved it more. She's into all her cars, which is funny. You'd think I would be, but I'm not. <laughs> there, was, there was trucks, there was cars, there was all sorts of stuff there. And at first, I think people kind of looked around. They didn't really know what we were or what we were doing. But when they came back the second time to actually see, they then actually looked inside. And they were like, oh, you've actually, you know, it's actually been converted. And I'm like, yeah, it's a converted van. So that's why we're here. So not only were we able to talk about the van and the conversions, and you'll see, you know, how we did it and started and all the sponsors that helped us. We were lucky both days, glorious sunshine. Yeah, yeah. But no sunspots and no flares. So the sun was out, but there was nothing, nothing going, going on. on. <laughs> Typical. It's always the way. But they got to see the sun and they loved the solar glasses that we gave out. We gave them out for free to all the kids and that because we thought, oh, come on, you've got to. So for them to actually put the glasses on and look up at the sun and see it up there in orange, they loved that, absolutely loved it. That's so yeah, brilliant. Really, really good. Because I know they used to have one down in Brighton. Uh, it was part of the, the summer of rallies that they used to do because you used to have the London to Brighton mini rally, yep. which I used to be a part of. And um, they used to have a customised vehicle rally and you had all the vehicles down the front on Madeira Drive. That's cool, yeah. Right yeah. by the seafront. Yeah, I know Brian well. It's uh, with my mum all the time. She used to love it there. And it should be good fun. So if they do one down there, that would be superb. Yeah, well, that's something, as I said, we didn't even think about that. But, you know, we can take it anywhere now. So yeah. if people invite us, or if anyone's listening, they know about ones that they do, let us know. Give us an email or something. Yeah. I mean, you can even take it to things like county shows and that kind of thing because yeah. 
it's the outdoors. Yep. So educational as well. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. You've got to consider that as well. This is a complete overhaul, really, of what UK astronomy does. It's a game changer. Yeah. Completely. It's absolutely mad. And we found that also having an asset is what they call it. Having something, suddenly everyone's messaging you. Mm -hmm. They see it out there. They're like, oh, that's so cool. That's cool. Can you do this? Can you come here? We're interested in like you know sponsoring you or doing something or doing this. So suddenly it's almost like opened up a whole new avenue of people who didn't even really know we were there. And now, you know, throw out a van with your name all over it. <laughs> and like I was saying to my wife the other day, sometimes I just sit there, like it's in the car park and I'm going to Asda to get some food before an event. I walk out of Asda and I see the van there and I just think, that's mad. Because like four or five years ago, what's on the side of that van, I created just on like a Wix website one day because I was sitting there thinking I need to create some sort of event for me or a group or just something. And I did this logo, obviously it wasn't as good as this one that's <laughs> on there now, and now it's like on a van. Yeah. And it still feels like it's not me, if you know what I mean? It's just every every time I look at it, I just think this is this is ridiculous. <laughs> so yeah, and I, I still well up even now sometimes for some reason. I can understand that. Like whenever we went out and did events, it was an enterprise van because we they gave us discounts and stuff, so as a charity they helped us out do all our events yeah and gave us discounts on it so they were massive in the beginning but you know to sit there with your actual own brand in a way you just think crazy so i think we're going to take a short break there and then when we come back is the sky guide for october but actually as an outside broadcast which is the first time we've ever done this so yeah, uh, we've done it. it's going to be a mini one <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's the first time we've we've, we've done it out and about so um Come back in a minute. On canvas with paint in the artist's school, it is red that is hot and blue that is cool. But in science we show, as the heat gets higher, a star will glow red like the coals of a fire. Raise the heat some more and what is in sight? Behold, the star glows bright white. But the hottest of all, I say unto you, is neither red nor white when a star has turned blue. So welcome back to TGP Nominal. On TGP Nominal, actually on TGP Nominal Extra, we have our sky guide for the month ahead. Yeah, so we're sat actually in the cab <laughs> of the spacecrafter. And if you notice, I've got a little astronaut that usually stands up. <laughs> and I have actually got a little shuttle. shuttle. So I thought that'd be quite cool, because originally we were thinking about actually getting the wrap to make the van look like a shuttle. But then we were like, that's not really astronomy. No, <laughs> not so really. Thought, no, we won't do that. So anyway, I better get on with this because it's warming up in here. It is a bit. So this is kind of like a quick fire October guide, just because obviously we're not sat in our own rooms with a bit of air con and <laughs> <laughs> comfortable. Shooting off, first of all, on the 6th, Mars is at its closest point to Earth tonight. So on the 6th, it will look pretty awesome in the sky. It's a great time to look at it if you can. I have been told that through telescopes, they've been able to see like the dark and white patches of planes and stuff on it. And people have actually even seen the ice caps on it, which looks cool. You probably are going to need a filter for that because it is really bright at the moment. But even if you just go out and have a look at it, you can't miss it. A big red blob up in the sky. The next day, the 7th, is a couple of meteor showers this month. There's quite a few, to be fair. They're all kind of small ones. There are going to be little peaks and sub-peaks across the whole month of all these shooting stars. So it should be quite cool to see. So keep your eyes up, just in case. Now, on the 8th is the Draconid meteor shower. Reaches its peak around 10 an hour. Although these ones, they said, are known to be slow-moving due to the angle that they enter the atmosphere. 
so they actually kind of like streak quite slowly and brightly across the sky so they're kind of a more brighter burning one so that would be quite cool to see Moving on to the 10th, we've now got the Southern Torrid Meteor Shower. Near Taurus, that peaks around about 5, but you think about it, you've got the one before that peaks at about 10, this peaks about 5. Combined with others in the month, could be an interesting time to actually look up and see shooting stars. On to the 13th, unlucky for some, Mars reaches opposition and is actually in a good place to observe in our skies. It's actually quite high up and it's been really prominent, growing brighter and brighter and brighter throughout the last month or so. As I said, you might need a moon filter to actually dim it down because it is that bright to see the dark planes. The ice caps have been seen and we've seen pictures been put into the Facebook group and you can see them really well. So as long as it doesn't have a dust storm, which it quite often does, should get some good views, fingers crossed. Now on the 14th, there's a slender moon with Venus. It can be seen in the morning sky. So the goddess of beauty is now moving back towards the sun and then we'll go past it and come up in the evening sky slowly. On the 15th, below left of Venus, there'll be a very, very, very thin sort of 3% crescent moon. I love the crescent moons, I don't know why, but when you see them in sort of like the morning or the evening skies, it's absolutely mad. They just look so cool. It's like something out of a sci-fi film. Now on the 16th, just before sunrise, 1% moon. Literally a sliver of a moon will be there. I've read this in a magazine that it's just to the point of being able to be seen with a naked eye. So it's on the sort of verge of almost gone. So it's a real challenge for you early risers. You want to pop out and have a look at that. If you're more of an evening person or afternoon, next day the 17th is actually going to be the same but in the evening. So it's moved across the sky and it's on the other side. So you can have another really sliver sort of moon. So if you don't fancy getting up early, do it the next day. And hopefully you'll be able to see it just as the sun sets. Be careful looking around the sun because as we all know, it's not good for your eyes. Moving on to the 20th, we've got another meteor shower. So there's quite a few as you can see. So at its peak again, this one's the Orionids. So it's around Orion. Although from what I've seen in our Facebook group, there have been a lot of people reporting really good meteor showers. I popped out to let the dog out the other night. And I just happened to look up at Mars. I do every night. I don't know why, even though I've seen it a hundred times. And a beautiful one, an absolutely massive one, just flew right past Mars. Wow. I just thought if I'd have had my camera out for that, that'd have been stunning. These ones are a little bit more. There's around 20 to 25 per hour. So as you can see, there's loads happening all through the month. So keep your eyes up for shooting stars. On the 22nd, the moon and the king of the planets Jupiter are not far from each other. So the moon's now coming up the other side of the sky and heading towards Jupiter and Saturn. It's just an easy way to find the two planets if you haven't found them yet. The moon will be right near them. The 25th, uh, sadly for some, British summertime officially ends. Aww. And the clocks go back. I believe it's around 2am in the morning, so it doesn't really affect anyone unless, like me, as a firefighter, it means I've, I have to work an extra hour or don't work an extra hour. Swings and roundabouts. <laughs> <laughs> so who says time doesn't change, eh? 29th, Mars again lies close to the moon. So it's happened again, so at the beginning and at the end, it's moved to it. So again, another really nice sort of sight in our night skies. And then last but not least, the 31st, literally the last day, you get a second full moon. Now this is a lot controversy comes from this because you see it from the Daily Mail saying, it's going to be a blue moon. I've seen some yeah. of this, yeah. It's not blue. It doesn't really change colour. I know there is a certain thing that can happen in the atmosphere when certain conditions happen that it does make it a hint of blue. But it really... <sighs> Few and far between. I think it's something to do with maybe volcanic activity or something like mm -hmm. that. But we haven't seen it really and it hasn't really happened. So it's more to do with human culture and meanings and, you know, sort of native Indians and all that sort of stuff. So it won't be blue, but it's still another full moon that you can see and enjoy. So Mars is the main highlight of the month because it's big, it's bright. Go out and have a look at it. It's stunning. And that is the quick fire month ahead. Right. Now, before we leave you, 
it's difficult to ask whether you've got anything coming up because it's <laughs> supposed to be some kind of announcement later on today on what we can and can't do. So it's yeah, it's a bit difficult. As I said, we was meant to be going up to uh, Solihull, yeah, Solihull, but we've had to cancel that because you're only allowed six people, and the amount of astronomers going is six people. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> He has invited me out, bless him, to actually just go and do stargazing. So one of the times I am just going to go out and do that because there's only a couple of them, depending, of course, on the next announcement. Because he may say, don't go out, do go out, stay in, don't stay in, work from home, don't work from home. Who knows? Yeah. Well, Who no, knows? We, by the time this goes out, you will know. But uh... we do. What have we got? We've got a virtual quiz coming up. I believe it's about the 14th or 16th of October. It will be on the Facebook. It literally. I think you said to me it's on the 16th. Yeah, it so... came out today. My wife posted it in the Facebook group today. And that's 60 questions, I believe, put into categories of like 12. It's completely free. But there is, of course, a donate. And if you donate, Whatever you donate, you'll be put into a prize draw to win things like books for 2021, a night sky, UK astronomy mugs, bumper stickers, window stickers. I've got, uh, I think Astro Gloves is a company, a family-run company who are going to give us a free pair of Astro Gloves that we can use as well too for that. And I also have a big picture of a Millennium Falcon shooting at a TIE fighter, from what I remember, given to me at Feel the Force Day. Yes, Do you I remember, remember the guy next to us? He, yeah, the big He drew them storm. himself, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. And he donated one to us, and I, I, I had to buy an Alien one, because obviously I'm a fan of Alien. That's the films, by the way, not Green Men. <laughs> and yeah, so I bought the Alien one, and that's on my wall, so that's going to be there. It's been in the garage a little while, so as long as it's not been damaged, which I'm hoping it's not, it looked all right, it's all still encased, that will be there, and that's limited edition. So for someone who's a sci-fi fan, there's going to be all sorts of questions, all about space and fun things. And we're actually going to have, I think, Will's going to ask a question. So we're going to have, actually have people recorded asking questions. So I might have to ask you to get involved in that as well. Yeah, I'll, um, I can see who I can get to ask a couple of questions. Um, I've, I've got some candidates that I normally would approach about this kind of thing so basically watch this space and you'll uh, you'll yeah. find out who they are well it's going to be a pilot one we're going to see how it goes and hopefully it'll be good i mean if we get a little bit of extra funds to help us carry on in these times because also we can't go out and do events so it'll help us run if you can can if you can't just have fun it's there for you just enjoy yourselves it'll be silly questions it'll be good questions it's all family so mm. it's not any you know mathematical astrophysical <laughs> sort of things and I might even ask a question there I've got quite a good one in the back of my head that I won't say because it ruin it <laughs> but yeah there's going to be a few people Janelle's going to do one as well I believe so the NASA lady so you actually get to see the faces of the people that you hear about or see on the Facebook group so it should be fun so that's something we're going to keep doing online stuff to try and keep you entertained no matter what happens so fingers crossed so we'll leave it there and uh, get out of the hot van yeah we'll <laughs> I'll see you back in the studio. Thanks, Mark. Come back and join us every first Sunday of the month for TGP Nominal Extra, featuring Ross Hockham's Sky Guide for the month ahead. It's time for another break, and when we come back, I'll be joined by a special guest.
So welcome back to TGP Nominal for our World Space Week special. Now, on the other fader, I should have a special guest, and that's Will Chung. Will, how are you doing? Hey, how are you doing, Mark? Doing fine. Tell people a little bit about yourself. Sure. So, um, I am 40 years old now, believe it or not, and basically as a seven-year-old, I really, really got interested in astronomy, and it was all thanks to a guy, Patrick Moore on TV loads, talking about the night sky, and I thought it was fascinating. And, and then also it was the time when the Voyager probes were coming back of all these amazing photographs of the, the gas giants, and that really piqued my interest. So I decided from a very young age, Mark, that astronomy was going to be my thing, and that's all I wanted to do. Got to the age of 12, I think, or 13, went to see a, a careers advisor, and she said, right, son, you know, what do you want to do when you're older? And I said, I want to be an astronomer. And she just looked at me and said, no. She took it a bit further. She got a book out and she said, look, this is how much an astronomer makes. And I think it was 12,000 pounds. And she says, pick something else. So then I decided, right, I guess I better choose business because if it's all about money, I guess business is the way forward. And I went down the businessy route, did business studies at uni, but all the time having this massive interest and passion in astronomy, following it all. And it actually wasn't until about eight, ten years ago when I really started to get back into it again. I was volunteering at an observatory and now uh, recently finally have my own observatory, public observatory. Um, holding stargazing events and everything else. So it's taken over 30 years to get back to what, what I wanted to do right at the beginning. I can totally understand that because there was two things I wanted to do when I was a kid. I either wanted to get into broadcasting or I wanted to be an astronaut. I knew I wasn't going to become an astronaut for various different reasons. And I was told by my careers officer that getting into radio broadcasting is really hard to do. And I didn't stand a chance of getting in there, try and pick something else. Anyway, I went off to college and I did communication studies, which incorporated journalism, broadcasting, you name it. It was all lumped into to one thing. Photography as well. I left college and there was news in my hometown that a new radio station was coming and I basically cobbled together a CV and got in touch with the radio station basically saying you need me and they took me on as a broadcasting assistant. I was only there about a year, coming up for a year, but it was something to go back to school with and say look you told yeah. me I'd never get into radio yeah. well here I am and then um, and then the opportunity came along to start doing some podcasting and I got into podcasting and well I didn't become an astronaut but I'm <laughs> I'm doing the next best thing which is talking about space wow this show is very similar I always follow your dreams that's for sure so Tell me a little bit about the observatory. The observatory is uh, in the International Dark Sky Park of Northumberland. So really, really excited about it. And, you know, about a year and a half ago, through a mutual contact, met the owner. I could see a kind of mutual benefit here. One, we could have an observatory and then, you know, and just basically inspire people to come up, look at the dark skies using telescopes. 
And um, they love the idea because actually for a lot of, of hotels and, and accommodation providers in the national parks, winter time is their quietest time. So to 2019, we, we did a soft launch and February the 27th of this year, we went for a full launch with 50 guests and eight team members, some astronomers and astrophysicists. And um, it was a great event and it was clear skies and everything. And then that we did nothing then for six months for obvious reasons. And we've now restarted them. And it's just great to have, you know, the not only the dark skies and the telescopes, but also accommodation and, you know, have food as well. It's this whole package. And it's, it's in them. Um, they also have their own brewery as well. It's just perfect combination because if the clouds are in, at least you can drown your sorrows with beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that did prick my ears up a little bit when you said there was a brewery involved as well. Because as I've mentioned to you, we also do a beer related podcast as well. Perfect. That would kill two birds with one stone, really. <laughs> Definitely. You're welcome to come up anytime. So you've been going for a, a few months as a full deal now. How's that actually been? To be honest with you, we've just slowly got back into it. Obviously, with restrictions and everything, we, we just don't want to have too many people. But to be honest with you, there's been times when we've only had two or three guests, you know, and I'm doing the talks and I'm stargazing. But even if there was no guests, I'll still be talking and stargazing. So just having a couple of people with us is, is absolutely fine. But it's, it's just been great. We've We've had 17 events now and... 14 of them have been observing so it's just been perfect to be honest with you just really excited for, for the winter season yeah because now is when the the proper stuff starts happening isn't it the nice crisp skies just stunning man absolutely stunning i mean i love it i love cold weather and this is the thing people <laughs> generally dislike it but you know there's a reason why i go off to iceland so often it's because i just love it i, I don't care if it's minus 15 you know i want to be out there stargazing and uh, i actually did something for the first time in my life the other day i was lying down i mean i was in the car park i was lying on the car park ground just staring up at the, at the milky way you know above the observatory and um oh, it was just it was emotional it really was and uh, people say what you've never done that before so well, no, i normally stand and and have my neck in an awkward position to look up but this time i just fancy just lying down just letting my mind wander and just think you know what is out there and the beauty of it all everyone has to do it you know even in a, a place like Aylesbury which is fairly light polluted you can still see some decent stuff obviously if, if you can get to a, a dark site it's it's fantastic but you, you don't need to do you no no you don't I mean that is very true and crazy as it sounds I was in Beijing quite a few years ago and um, about 36 hours before being in Beijing I was in an observatory in the Thumberland and so it was fresh in my mind you know where everything everything was in the skies and, uh, and Orion was up and uh, I could see the Orion Nebula. You know, this is light polluted Beijing. I mean, it's one of the easiest things to see, isn't it? So it, it stands out a lot compared with some of the other things out there. Because, I mean, if, if you can find Orion straight away, which is, is, is pretty easy to do, just look about. Absolutely. That's the thing as well that I find... You know, I, I do get it because I used to be that person. You look up in the stars and, and you kind of get lost. You go, well, you know, yeah, I, I can recognize Orion, one of the most recognizable constellations. But then I didn't really understand Cassiopeia. Yeah, I knew about the plow. 
really, once you start to work on it, start to memorize some key constellations and where they are, because a lot of people don't realize they are fixed, you know, pretty much, mm -hmm. you know, certainly in our lifetimes. So once you learn the patterns and the, and the groups of stars, it doesn't take that much time for you then to really get to understand it and know it. And then all of a sudden, you're, you're at a level that is probably higher than most people, because most people get kind of go, whoa, how do you know that's Capella? Or how do you know that's Rigel or whatever? Well, it's because you look at it a hundred times a year, you yeah. know, eventually, you know, you get it. I was out with Ross Hockham and Richard Bartlett, you know, the uh, author that uh, works with UK astronomy occasionally. And he came over from America to be with us. I mean, he memorized everything and he could yeah. tell you where everything was. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Can I tell you a quick story? Sure. This is, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine who went on a um, cruise in the um, Southern Hemisphere. So I think they were like South America. They were really excited because of, because of my influence. They were really excited because there was a, a stargazing event and they're all going to be on the deck of the ship with a laser-guided tour of all the constellations and stars. Wow. So they were so excited. And then were, all these people were outside. And then there was an announcement made at the beginning. And they said, I'm really sorry, but our Australian stargazer, he's not well at the moment. So we, he's not going to be hosting the event, but we've got a replacement. And the replacement was a German stargazer guy. So this German stargazer guy got started, but what he completely forgot clearly was that the southern skies are completely <laughs> different <laughs> to the northern skies and bless him had this laser pen out i said um so that's a star and over here we have another star <laughs> so going like, yeah that's polaris no 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 <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's the other thing as well is you don't realize that Southern Hemisphere and the Northern Hemisphere, we do see different stars, different constellations. So I, I've been to, um, lucky enough to go to Chile and uh, oh, wow, I went a few years ago, looked up in the night sky, didn't have a clue, didn't have a clue about anything. It was actually really disorientating. I'm supposing once you can find the Southern Cross, you can get your bearings a bit better, but... <sighs> yeah, but I mean, I just couldn't even find that. I didn't have a clue. <laughs> but it was good because for a moment, well, for a moment, for, for the few nights, I felt like any other guest, you know, at a stargazing event, you know, in, back home. I was thinking, yeah, okay, okay, now I get it. <laughs> <laughs> when they did the stargazing live when they were yeah. in Australia. Yes. I actually managed to get hold of a copy of the versions they did for ABC, the Australian Broadcasting okay. Company. It was completely different to the output they were putting out for the BBC. Right. The amount of time they spent with the original people, the Aborigine tribes, mm -hmm. because the way they look at the skies, there's a complete different story to how we yes. deal with it here because they call it the i think they call it the dream time because they look at the the milky way as a river yeah yeah and um is it, and everything is based around animals that you might find okay. by that river all right so it's a fascinating way of looking at it because of that we decided we were going to try and inspire listeners to the podcast and the people from the UK Astronomy Group to come up with new names for the mm. constellations. I mean, you've got the Owl Cluster, uh, which we've renamed Johnny Five from Short, yes. short Circuit. Yes. We want people to 
look up and remember things and if if they've come up with a name for it then they're going to remember where it is i actually I, I show a lot of guests the owl cluster so i'm gonna have to start using that and call it johnny five cluster from now on <laughs> <laughs> there's so many of them up there i mean there's one that um I can't remember the name in the constellation now, but it looks like a dog. Yeah, Canis Major. That's it. Canis. And there's supposed to be a little dog that's alongside it. But that looks more like a stick. Yeah, so that's it's right. The, yeah. the, it's the stick that the dog is chasing after. Right, so. okay. <laughs> that makes sense. Canis <laughs> <laughs> uh, Minor, Procyon. I always point that one out to say, you really have to use your imagination of this one, guys. It's two stars. And this is the little dog. <laughs> yeah, this stick makes a lot more sense. <laughs> if we can encourage more people to come up with yeah. their own constellations. And it's great for the kids. So yeah. that's what we want. The alternative list. I like that. <laughs> you are not at home at the moment, are you? So I'm in, I'm in the very, very north of Scotland because... Um, I'm an aurora chaser, so I love seeing the northern lights and you know showing people how to find the northern lights. Usually, right now, I'd be in Iceland because there are two dates of the year which are best for northern lights. It's March the 21st and September the 21st. So we're located around the equinoxes. So this year, I knew I couldn't go to Iceland, so I decided very early on, right, that's it off to the north coast of Scotland and uh, do some aurora chasing. And it's been very fruitful already. We had an amazing storm last night. I was just, just couldn't believe it. And hopefully more to come over the next few days. Wow. But I'm a good seven and a half hours drive from Newcastle. I invited Ross actually and I <laughs> said, Ross, just to let you know, mate, I'm going to be uh, North Scotland doing aurora chasing. And I, I Google mapped it for him. It says it's 12 hours drive. <laughs> but absolutely Absolutely worth it. <laughs> yeah, to, to our uh, American friends out there, that probably means absolutely nothing. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah. here, that's uh, that's a trek. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> it is absolutely true. But completely worth it. Really, really amazing skies here as well. That's awesome. Have you seen the, the Southern Lights as well? Well, the Southern Lights always been an ambition of mine to see it. And just for the fact to, to say that I can, I've seen it, because apparently, I'm not 100% sure this is true, I'm pretty, pretty sure it is, what you see in the Northern Lights display is mirrored in the South. The energy is the same. So I think they've actually shown animations to say that actually it's, it's a similar sort of thing um, at the same time. But... The challenge with the Southern Light is because there's a lot less land in the Southern Pole. It has to be quite a strong solar event for you to see it on land, like New Zealand. Yeah. And I believe it would be a similar type of event that you could see it maybe in, you know, Nottinghamshire, Sheffield in, in, in the UK. Then you would be able to see a similar thing in the Southern Light. So it's a lot rarer, basically, to see the Southern Light on land. Hopefully one day I might end up in Antarctica. Again, it's bucket list thing isn't it um one day <laughs> now when we spoke to you initially well we asked you whether you would like to get involved with our object of the month yeah I, I believe you have got something kind of special yeah absolutely so there's a, a, a stunning stunning object called the great globular cluster in hercules uh, otherwise known as Messier 13. I mean, for me, I love the visual stuff of astronomy, of course. You know, we use the telescopes and, and you know, naked eye. 
but also I just love stories. You know, I love learning about things and, and kind of understanding them and thinking about what it would be like to, to live on it or live near it. And Messier 13 is a stunning globular cluster, which um, for the folks that never looked at a globular cluster before is basically a collection of loads of loads and loads of stars it is naked eye visible but only in a super dark sight but what you need is a decent telescope minimum four inches in aperture the larger the scope the better and what you see is this cluster if you like a ball of stars just loads and loads and loads of stars and in fact we believe there's several hundred thousand stars and this cluster is located quite far out, about 20 odd thousand light years away. And the reason why I love it is because I think when you get into astronomy, you kind of understand maybe the basics that, you know, you can see planets, you can see maybe galaxies. For me, globular clusters don't seem to be talked about, you know, that often. And it's not something that many people need kind of understand. So the very first time I looked at M13, I was just absolutely shocked. It was just so beautiful. And I always get really excited when I know I've got an opportunity to show guests at the observatory Messier 13. It's just beautiful to look at. And what we've found is that this, these hundreds of thousands of stars are very, very old. We think they were pretty much formed as the universe was forming, the very beginnings of our Milky Way. So about 11 or so billion years old, all huddled up together as close to only as 0.1 light years or whatever in, in 100 uh, light years in, in distance. So very, very close. And what I lo just love imagining is if we were on a planet within this cluster and, all, and the night sky would just be filled with all these stars, very, very tight space. So I'll urge anyone, if you have the opportunity to look at um, M13 within Hercules, really beautiful. That's awesome. So, Will... Because of the fact that you've been working with UK Astronomy and we consider you to be a crew member here because of, of the bits and pieces that you've done for them. So we would like, if we may, to make you an honorary crew member of TGP Nominal. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you very much. No, it'll be an honour. Absolute honour. So well, what we do, we, we will send you one of our mission patches and in return, if you wouldn't mind taking a photograph of yourself so that we can add you to our honorary crew member wall. Brilliant. No, definitely. Thank you very much. So, Will, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. Thanks so much. I really enjoyed it, Mark. And uh, hopefully we'll catch up again. Definitely. Definitely. Anytime. And you're more than welcome to come up and visit Drink as much beer as you want. <laughs> <laughs> Spanhead Productions are a small independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too visit us now spamheadproductions.weebly.com that's spamheadproductions.weebly.com 
So that brings us to the end of our World Space Week podcast. I hope you enjoyed your time with us. And if you did, why not check out our sibling podcast, The Garbage Pod, which has recently launched their latest episode in celebration of International Podcast Day. As I do at this point every year, I would like to say thanks to everyone who has made TGP Nominal possible over the last 12 months. So firstly, I would like to thank my co-host John Berger, who unfortunately couldn't make it on the show today. Ross Hockham and all the team at UK Astronomy for their continued support. All of our honorary crew members who have been an asset to the show. And lastly, and by no means least, our listeners. Without you, we wouldn't have a podcast. So that leaves me with one thing left to say, and that's stay safe one and all, thanks for listening, and we'll speak to you all again real soon. And as John Berger would say, Doodles, Doc. <laughs> you know you stinker. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of TGP Nominal. If you want to get in touch with us, then send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com, where your input is our output. Or click the social media icons at the top left of the page over at tgpnominal.weebly.com. If you would like to subscribe to any of our podcasts, you can do so via iTunes, the RSS feed, and also Stitcher and TuneIn On Demand Radio. And you can listen to me going solo, bringing you the latest in movies and home theater for regular people in the Widescreen podcast over at widescreen.org. Don't forget to rate and review us. If you like what we're doing here, then why not buy us a pint by clicking on the donate button on any of the podcast pages. And don't forget to spread the word about us. Station, this is Houston ACR. Thank you. That concludes the event. The goddess of muti, of muti beauty.